This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God is great. God is good. His mercies endure forever. He's here tonight to touch and bless your life. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come, move, have your way in this place. You are God. We are yours. We are the evidence of your amazing grace. We are the trophies of the cross, the evidence that love could come and touch us, save us, change us. And yet we are, O oh God, to go to another level from glory to glory, from strength to strength, ever becoming more and more like Jesus. We give you our all. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Let's get straight into the Word tonight. I've got so much that I want to cover as quickly as possible, and I realize that time is moving on. Um, turn with me, if you would, again to Romans chapter 12. I started this this morning. We're dealing with the subject of transformation, or as you would so differently say, transformation. Of course, the correct from the Greek is transformation, but we'll just debate that one in eternity. We'll have lots of time to work at that one. And we start in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and you'll remember the, the better way of understanding this verse is in the light of the mercy of God revealed in Jesus taking our place in nakedness, shame, and punishment, even though he didn't deserve it, he placed his all on the altar in great admiration and appreciation and acceptance of what he did as our sacrifice we give ourselves to you, O God, as a living sacrifice. That's what it's all about. He gave himself first. He loved us before we loved him. He made a provision for us through Jesus Christ. And that's why the song of the Lamb is, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain for our salvation. The ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, went and took our place, shed his blood that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so it is in response to his sacrifice that we make a sacrifice. We can't earn our redemption by our sacrifice. It is the gift of God. But in response, in appreciation, in acceptance, we come to him and we lay down our lives, not just to avoid hell and go to heaven, but so that on earth, in our bodies, we may be ambassadors, carriers of His light, of His love, of His power, uh, and of His word to our generation. Can someone get into agreement with that? And so, yeah, Paul urges, and remember, this isn't him urging unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. So obviously, they've already given their hearts to the Lord. They're already born again, but he's saying you need to understand that there is a, a place that we need to go in in the Spirit that is much deeper than just avoiding hell. And that is where you place your life on the altar of sacrifice to serve God. And that's what this is about. And uh, then he goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world years 
uh, in this life, depending how old you were when you believed in Jesus and gave your heart to him, you had that many years of the world shaping your thinking. The value system, whether you grew up in a Christian society or an atheistic society or a Hindu society or a Muslim society, it doesn't matter if you were in the cults or the occult, you received from the worldview of your nation, the culture of your nation, the subculture that you grew up in, that environment has formed your way of thinking about God, about heaven, about hell, about service, about the church, about His ways, about His laws. Everything has been already formed inside of you. And He's saying, in order to get what God's got for your life, to fully release what God's got for your life, you need to go through a process called metamorphosis or transformation, or another way of saying that is radical change. I don't know if you noticed, the trees are already starting to show a little bit of change. Just one brief change in the weather, and the landscape is starting to show what? Change. In a few weeks, there will be radical change. All the trees, unless they're evergreens, are going to go yellow or maroon or orange or purple, but they will change color. And then... Heaven forbid, if you get another heavy snowfall like you had a few last year and the year before, again, radical transformation. You wake up in the morning and everything is white. Transformation. That's what he's saying here, that there is a radical change in the landscape of your life that is going to take place. And it's to rid you of a way of thinking and a way of living so that you can go higher, deeper, further as a carrier of God's light and word to your generation. And so he says, yeah, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into the mold of this world system, its ideologies, its value system, where they call evil good and good evil. Don't allow that to shape your thinking. Don't allow popular thought that contradicts the Word of God and the value system of eternity. Don't allow that to become your thought. No matter how few people agree with you, it doesn't matter if God said it, it's always going to be truth, and every man will be proven to be a liar. Thank you for that overwhelming <laughs> response of agreement. I know you're not an amening church, but that is pretty important because this is what it's all about. The world is wanting to squeeze us to become like them. PC is now the order of the day. You can stand for anything but for the Word of God. You can stand for agendas and movements, but don't stand for the Word of God. Oh, that's so narrow-minded. That's so limiting. And if at all possible, they'll want to remove your right to speak the Word of God. Already, there are movements that want to remove the right to say Jesus is the only way of salvation. Because it's, it's so cruel. It's so harsh. How can a God of love? Well, when you guard... You can say it the way you want to. When you're the creator of the universe, 
You can say it the way you want to. And if you agree with it, it's a good thing. If you disagree with it, you're going to be wrong. Because God is the ultimate measure of truth. And every word that He speaks is truth. Don't be conformed or squeezed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. Let the landscape of your life be changed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you. So he's speaking to the church and he's saying, I want you to notice this, not to a hand-picked few. He's saying, through the grace of God that's given to me as a gift, Paul, a bondservant and apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's speaking to the church of Romans here, of Romeo, and he says, through this grace given to me, to everyone who is among you. Who is everyone? The entire church. Those that will come under the sound of Paul's words, and we today come under the, the amplified sound of Paul's word today. This word is just as true today in Olive Branch, Mississippi, as it is to those Roman believers in that era. And he says, to everyone who is among you. How many of you know who everyone is? The Greek for everyone means everyone. None excluded. Because we sometimes shape this opinion that that's for them. That's for that person. But yeah, Paul wants to make this very clear. None are excluded from what I'm saying. What's he saying? Everyone is gifted. Everyone is called. Everyone is chosen. Everyone is anointed by God when you are saved. God places gifts, ministries, anointings, abilities, callings, and he puts it this way. Every one of you has received a measure of faith. What's that faith for? So that you can live your life and that you can minister according to the gifting that God has given to you. He says, to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to, not to put an estimation upon your life that would exaggerate what God has called you to do. However, there's another element to this. Don't make yourself less than what God has made you or called you or gifted you or graced you. Don't make yourself more. Don't make yourself less. Everyone's got to start where you start. And let me tell you, everyone starts with a measure. In the parable of the talents, he says one got one, one got two, one got five. In the parable of the miners, everyone got ten. Well, it doesn't matter how much you get of the grace, the call, whether it seems to be little or whether it seems to be unfair. God knows where you're at and what you can handle at the starting blocks. Now, where you start doesn't mean that's where you've got to finish. Because if you start with a lot and do nothing with it, it will be taken away from you and given to another. 
And if you start with a little and you're faithful with it, God will expand and promote your life. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. When gifts and ministries and measures were given, the day I was saved, I was one of those that didn't seem to get much. I didn't have a lot that I could offer. However, with the little I got, I started to invest it into souls, into the Word, into prayer, into study, into serving And even though there were definite walls of resistance that I had to press through, eventually the doors were open for my life and promotion came into leadership, into authority, into ministry. It didn't come about overnight and it didn't come about easy, but with patience, with perseverance, with discipline, and as you are loyal And diligent, God promotes you. God will always promote the diligent and the faithful. God cannot promote the sloppy and the casual. And God doesn't want you to start there and finish there. He expects you to start there and increase from glory to glory. So, yeah, he says, don't make yourself more than what you are. But don't make yourself less than what you are. But to understand or to estimate yourself according to the measure that God has given to you. There is enough faith for you to start. There is enough faith for you to pray. There is enough faith for you to start serving. And as you employ what seems to be little in the beginning, it will increase in God. And then he goes on to say, For as we have many members in one body... But all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he says, and this is very important. And in some ways very un-American, however, bear with me. That this gifting, anointing, and calling is not so much that you can operate independently but it's rather found in a corporate development, in a relational development, being codependent upon those around you feeding into you and you feeding into them. This is where this starts to work. This isn't just doing your own thing, but it's very much a part of the corporate expression of God's plan. And I'll go a little step further. I've been studying the word saint the last few days. And it's very interesting. There are over 60 mentions of the word saint in the, Bi- in the New Testament in the Bible. But only one time is it referred to individually. Every time it's plural, saints. And the word saints means separated from for God. And our separation is not so much personal, but corporate. And Yarin has a great understanding. This transformation isn't just about you being changed, but it's about us being changed. While you change, we change. While I change, you change. Uh, 
Our change affects those around us corporately because we're not just saved to avoid hell and go to heaven, but we are and have a personal relationship with Jesus, but we're also saved and placed into the body of Christ to function together in giftedness. So this transformation is not just personal, but it's found corporately. And it's in the understanding of finding our place in our gifting within the body of Christ. Let me go on, seeing this encourages you so much. And he goes on to say, having then gifts differing according to the grace. So I want you to note, we have measures of faith, but we have different gifts. So that faith will be enough for your gift to start functioning. In the body. Now, when I teach on ministry, there are four aspects to ministry. The first and the most important is we minister to God in worship. And if we don't minister to God in worship, we'll probably not have much to minister to anyone else. You can't give away what you don't get. And so your first and your highest level of ministry is to minister to God. The second area of ministry is God ministering to you, the downloads from God. And that normally comes about in your worship, in your study, in your prayer. However, it can also come about where God uses vessels around your life to lay hands and to impart to you or to mentor or coach you, to develop you, disciple you. And so it can and often will come through others to you. And so there's your ministry to God, and then God's ministry to you. Your third area of ministry is you to the lost. Every Christian is called into the ministry of reconciliation. If you want to know what your ministry is, you are given the ministry of reconciliation to represent God through the proclamation of the gospel. Now let me throw this in at you as well. The proclamation of the gospel must be in word. Because how will they hear without a preacher? It must be in word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. However, there are also other ways that we can minister the gospel. The second area is through demonstration of the gifts of the Spirit. And so when you lay hands on the sick, when you cast out demons, when you operate in the realms of the miraculous, that's also a way of demonstrating the kingdom of God, and it proclaims the gospel. You with me so far? So there is the word, uh, let's call that declaration, and then there is demonstration. A third way of proclaiming the gospel is the way you live, the way you conduct yourself. And the Bible says that you can actually get to a place where people will ask you concerning the hope that is within you. There are times we tell, and there are times when people ask us, what have you got that makes you different? And that is a divine opportunity that normally comes because they can see the evidence of your transformed life, your changed life the way you conduct yourself differently to the rest of the world separates you. You're a, 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 a city on a hillside, a light that is, is visible to all. They can see it. So they see your conduct, the manner 
of conduct, the way you live. And then the fourth area of your ministry and, uh, in the gospel is through acts of kindness, compassion, or what we call charity. Often that is louder than your preaching. Uh, often paves the way for you to preach when you go into an area of desperate need and you just care and you love, not I'm going to feed you if you receive Jesus. I just simply feed you whether you receive him or not. I don't clothe the naked so that I can preach to them. I clothe the naked because they are naked. I don't feed the hungry because I want to preach to them. I feed them because they're hungry. However, that most times will open up a way for you to speak to them. And guess what? When you've loved them unconditionally, they're going to hear you a whole lot louder. So we see that we are given different gifts, different ministries, different anointings, and these come as a result of the grace of God. He says, desire that you may prophesy or stir up the gift. You can stir it up, you can desire gifts, but it's God who gives the gifts. You can press in for these things. And ask God to use you as a vessel. But you can't make yourself something that you are not. You can't make yourself an evangelist. You can't make yourself a prophet. You can't make yourself an apostle. You can't make yourself a pastor. God makes you that. You can't conjure these things up through passion and zeal. You have to flow in obedience to the Spirit of God, as He wills. However, as a believer, you can always preach the gospel. You never have to pray for the right to preach the gospel. You can always pray for people. You can always lay hands upon the sick. You can always cast out demons. You can always care for people. You never have to pray about those things. Now, if God says to you, don't, like he did when Paul was going into an area, God said to him, don't go there, and he got the Macedonian call to go somewhere else. It's not that God didn't want the gospel to be preached in Mysia and Bithynia. It wasn't their time for Paul. God needed him in Macedonia, you understand? And there may be times when God will specifically direct your life, but his word to you is always, yes, you can preach the gospel. If there's no opportunity, you can still preach it, and, and, but there will be specific times that God can lead you to someone and tell you to do a certain thing, and then as you go in obedience, the gift will be released in and through your life for that assignment. And so we have different gifts, and I want you to notice that these anointings, giftings operate how? In relationship to one another but also in relationship to our lives being on the altar of sacrifice. The giftedness of our lives in Romans chapter 12 verse 4 onwards is really in relationship to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, when we place our lives 
on the altar of sacrifice. And then um, when we separate ourselves from the world for the glory of God as a carrier of his love. And so we want to understand this context of this changed life. And then I want you to see he goes on and he, he speaks about the different gifts. Then in verse 9 he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. I want you to notice something. Again, the importance of one another. Our relationship with each other. Be kindly affectionate to one another. In honor, giving preference to one another. And notice how that operates in a realm of love without a big show. This isn't about hypocrisy. This is operating in love. And it's also operating of all what is evil, cling to what is good. It's operating best in purity. I want you to see this gifted life operates in love and it operates in purity. It operates in right relationships with one another in love and honor. This is how favor and acceptance comes into the gifted life. And then I love verse 11, and this is where I will start to change gears as I go into more on transformation. He says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, one translation says, be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. And unless you are burning with the Spirit, unless you are ablaze in the Spirit, you will probably not be serving the Lord. Why? Because without passion, without that engagement in passion, you will always be the one wanting to be ministered to. But when your life is on the altar of sacrifice and you've separated yourself in the process of transformation with the renewing of your mind and the right relationship with other gifts and ministries, you to them and them to you, you are going to mature, develop and grow, and then you will function in passion, in service of God. Does that make sense? So that's the quick foundation for where we want to go tonight as we discuss, and time moves so fast, transformation, transformation, radical change. I thought of the agents of transformation. I found five that I could come up with. I'm sure someone will come up with a more godly number of seven I'll just wait for the emails to come to me, but I'll give you my five. Um, number one, of course, the, the greatest agent of transformation is the washing of the water of the Word, the renewing of our minds. In other words, the Word of God. If there's ever a way that our minds are going to be changed from traditional thinking, religious thinking, secular thinking is when we believe the Word to be a higher measure of truth than any other voice. And we, get our, we take our thoughts captive and we align our thinking with what the Word says. 
And then when you align your thinking with the word, then you align your speaking with the word, and then you align your doing with the word, and that is what? The transformed life, the changed life. And so, obviously, one of the greatest agents of transformation will be the word. Another agent of transformation that I think, and I'll I'll tell you why I think this, is prayer and fasting. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. But at the revelation that God wanted to use him to bring community transformation, national transformation, notice God's about to transform Judah and the destroyed city and affect the reputation of the people of God in front of the whole world. For God to do that, he needs a transformed man called Nehemiah. But Nehemiah goes into a season of prayer and fasting where he humbles himself before God. And as he positions himself in this posture of humility, allowing every appetite to be suppressed. You've talked, you know, we talk about appetite suppressants. Yara is a great appetite suppressant. Get the call of God in your life, everything will lose its flavor and attraction. Its appeal will be broken from your life. And as you place yourself in prayer and separation, that's what fasting is, separation from your appetites, as you place yourself in separation before God, what God will do is there will be a greater download of ability, creativity, anointing, giftedness than you could ever imagine. Many people never reach their potential because their lives are so cluttered with busyness, they never really separate themselves. The average American will only spend five minutes in prayer a day. It's much easier to get a prayer chain to pray for you than to pray for yourself. People hear the call of God upon their lives. Prophetic word comes to their lives, but they'll never have a season where they'll separate themselves from the pressures of everyday life to hear what the strategy is from God. But as you go into prayer and fasting, something changes. It's called you. This is a wonderful way of transformation, getting before God in prayer and separation. Number three, the third agent of transformation is the Spirit of God. When people come under the touch of God, whether in a meeting and people lay hands upon you, whether there is a a a download of glory in worship. Often I receive anointings when I'm in worship. Uh, You'll often see if you, you can't see because I'm always on the front row, but if you could see me, often during worship I start putting notes in my iPad. What's happening is as I'm worshiping, downloads are coming to me. Things that I never thought I would talk about Like tonight, these five agents, I just typed that while we were in worship. Singing that beautiful, come burn in me, 
of fire of God. As we were singing this, I'm busy typing out these five things. That's why I say there's possibly seven, but by the end of the song, I got my five. But the Spirit of God coming upon your life changes you. I have seen it in my own life. My greatest transformations have come when God has put His hand upon my life. And it's been so overwhelming by the time I get up. There is such change in my life. It's changed my focus, my attention, my time. Everything changes in an encounter with God. You'll see this with Saul, King Saul. He, the Spirit of God comes upon him, and he begins to prophesy with the prophets. The Bible puts it, he became another man. He got under the glory, and there was a transformation. The only problem with Saul was he became another man for too short a period of time. He didn't keep pressing into the glory to be changed from glory to glory. He allowed it to be a one-time encounter versus an ongoing experience in God, which is a bit of a lesson to us all. The, The danger is once we've had a great encounter with God that we only live out of that encounter, we don't position ourselves for more. We don't develop an appetite realizing that God's got so much more that we can't get it in one download. It's like... You know, I think we're about to, in a few days, go into what they call iOS 8. It's going to be a huge, this is for all the techie people, not the PC ones, but the Apple people, the real ones. (laughs) This is going to be huge. The guys who use the one with the little green robotic figure on what those phones called, I don't even like to say it publicly, the Android... (laughs) Just messing with you, green monster people. <laughs> you see, they take the bait, man. It's like it's like fishing in a little bowl. They just like, ah, got to answer out from the crowd. I love fishing like that. It's just fun. You never have a boring moment. They're obviously, a sucker fish. <laughs> But we're about to get quite a big download in a, in a few days. Notice this is download number eight. You don't get it all in one go. And it's like that in the anointing. It's like that in faith. It's like that in gifting, in ministry, in vision. You don't get it all in one go. We need, that's why even church for us is so important. Because every time we come into the presence of God, There is something that is going to be changed in our lives from glory to glory. You understand? And so the Spirit of God is an agent of change. The fourth area of change or the agent of change is what I call mentors, but they could be disciple makers, pastors, ascension gift ministries in and around your life. And in here, I'm going to speak from my own experience, I adopted spiritual fathers, they never adopted me. I just pressed into their anointing, into their books. At a distance, I didn't like become a stalker of these guys, you know what I'm saying? I never stalked them, but I would get as close 
to their word and anointing as possible because I recognize that for me to fulfill the destiny of God, I've got to get iron sharpening iron. I need people around my lives that will sharpen me up. And so I would observe them. I would listen to them. I would take their advice. I would meditate in their messages. Many of them, I would listen to those cassettes. And I started out on the reel-to-reel days. And some of you don't even know what that means. doesn't matter. It's way before podcasts. It's like old-fashioned days, just after the Civil War. <laughs> but you'll notice that as you embrace those messages, sometimes over and over and over, there is a change that takes place in you the way you... It's not about being cloned, but it's about being shaped. I don't like clones, you know, like... How many of you remember those who come out of Rhema Bible Institute? They all had the little cufflinks, the pin, the little lapel thing. They all looked exactly the same. It's quite scary. It can almost become cultish. There was another... A great teacher in South Africa, a wonderful leader. He used to wear sandals and jeans and open-neck shirt. And then all his disciples started getting those leather sandals. And they would dress just like him. No one would dare to dress differently. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because they, they were being shaped by that mentor. But I'm not looking to a shaping in dress. And, you know, because I use an apple doesn't mean you can't have the other type. It's just, I like your individualism. I don't want to make disciples of me. I want to make disciples of Jesus through me. Do you see the difference? Uh, we don't want to become clones, but we do want to be molded by the example. I want to follow the example, but not necessarily drive the same car as them, live in the same suburb as them, eat the same foods as them. I just want to learn from the Spirit of God, the Word, and the example that they set. And in that process, when I see things in their lives, and you will see things in their lives that you don't agree with or don't like, doesn't mean I can't receive from them. And it doesn't mean I become critical of them because I recognize that None of us have arrived. That the gifts are without repentance, and so there may be flaws or idiosyncrasies in them that we may not agree with, but we shouldn't back away. It just means I'm going to guard my life in certain areas that there not be that deposit in my life, that compromise in my life. I'm going to stick to my heart before God. Mentors play a critical role in our lives, being shaped and developed by their example. And the fifth area, which is not a pleasant one, but I've certainly seen it in my own life more than once, which a couple of years ago, well, a couple of years ago, like 30 years ago, I wouldn't have dared teach on this, but I will now that I'm a little bit more grown up. Um, it's called trials and tribulations. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Trials and tribulations will change your life will change your approach to ministry. Uh, I don't believe that you should be sick to be able to minister healing. Um, but let me tell you something. When you've been sick 
and you know what it's like to go through a near-death experience, you have a whole lot more compassion and understanding when you pray for people. It's not like this kind of glib thing. Well, stand on the word, brother, because you know what it's like when you've tried to stand on the word and it doesn't look like it's working. You operate from a position of compassion. And before that, you may not have had that. When you've lost everything and you've seen how God has again elevated your life like Job, you understand what it's like to go through trials and tribulations and challenges, and it changes you. You have a greater appreciation in your life for the goodness of God, the provision of God, the health of God. So I think an agent of transformation certainly in my life has been Many trials and afflictions and tribulations and challenges, they have changed me to be a better man. We were talking this morning about the greatest change being the new creation. And you see that in Saul, here he is bent on destroying the church. And the next thing after the Damascus Road is what? Building the church. That's one of the greatest Examples. Another one is Zacchaeus. He, he seemed little guy. I know that's politically incorrect. The little guy up on the tree. Zacchaeus, come on down. Huh? How do you even know my name? It's amazing when you get into the flow of the Spirit that God can download. Yeah, anyway, he comes down. He says, listen, I'm going to come eat at your house. And immediately Zacchaeus has this transformation. If I've ripped anyone off, I'm going to give them back. You just got to let me know what I've taken from you. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to give all this excess away. Just in the one encounter with Jesus, his whole value system is reorganized. Huh. What about the woman at the well? One encounter with Jesus. What about the demonic of Gadareans? One encounter with Jesus from insane, naked, and violent, sane, whole mind. An encounter with Jesus will transform your life. Another way of looking at transformation biblically is Joseph was in prison. He had been unfairly treated imprisoned unrighteously, and now he's about to be released, and he's going to go in and meet with Pharaoh, and so they bathe him, and they shave him, and they clothe him. Why? Because he's going to come out of the prison, and he's going to function at the right hand of Pharaoh. There must be a change, transformation. This wasn't done by God this was done by himself and those around him. They said, listen, you're going before Pharaoh. You can't go in looking like this. This is how it goes. When you go in there, you've got to smell good. And so they bathed him. They gave him what was needed to get him ready to stand in front of the king. Another one that went through self-transformation and just my little thinking in our worship time, these downloads, was Esther. She's going to save a nation. In order to save a nation, she's first got to prepare her life. Bathing, perfume, 
hair, everything ready because she's going to go before the king. Trans- personal transformation by just cleaning up your life, cleaning up your act. This isn't done by the Spirit of God. This isn't done by the Word of God. This isn't done by mentors, although her uncle helped her. This was done by herself at her own will. She embraced this so that she would be found worthy in that environment to represent Israel. And listen, we need to at times do self-transformation so that we can represent the church and we can represent God in a way that will bring honor to his name. So we carry ourselves in the right way. Um, Zach and I were talking at lunchtime about dress. You know, you can wear a suit, you can wear jeans into church. It's really not just the, the clothing, it's the heart that is prepared. You know what we're talking about? But there was a time when you wouldn't go to church without being in a suit and time. There was a time, which wasn't long ago, where in Pentecost, you wouldn't even, ladies wouldn't be in pants, wouldn't wear makeup, would have a covering on their head. I call those the bad old days. However, some people refer to the good old days. I like to think of the bad old days. However, uh, just think about it. Some people can go before the presence of God very sloppily. They don't prepare their hearts before coming to church. They don't clean up their lives. They get dressed. But they know this thing. So when worship comes, they're not in touch with God. They first got to get themselves there. And you'll know this as worshipers. You're leading worship and you feel there's these barriers. You know what these barriers are? Unprepared lives. They haven't prepared themselves for the glory of God. The queen prepared herself for the king. Joseph prepared himself for Pharaoh. We must prepare ourselves for the word, for the presence of God, for the touch of God. It's called hunger. It's called desire. It's called stirring up a spiritual appetite for God. It's becoming desperate. It's making sure if there's stuff that's got into your life, don't wait for the last prayer to get yourself cleaned up. Get on your face before God saying, listen, I'm going to come before you in a few minutes in the corporate gathering. You know my thoughts. You know my heart. You know my condition. You know my strengths. You know my weaknesses. Nothing's hidden from your sight, God. Would you cleanse me? Transformation, self-transformation. You prepare yourself. If I was going to go in front of this president which is not something I aspire to very much, unfortunately. But if I were, I would bathe, I would shave, I would put on a suit and tie, and I would prepare exactly what I want to say. I would not dare go into his office unprepared. I don't know how long I would stay, but I would (laughs) be prepared. I'm a little outspoken, forgive me. It's not about being conservative or liberal. It's about there are certain things that I don't like that's happening in this country that I'm really perturbed about for the church's sake. I'm not even talking about ISIS, Islam, Benghazi, the tax thing. I'm just talking about our religious rights as the church. 
That's my concern. That's my world that I function in. And I don't like the direction this country is going in spiritually for the health of the church. It's like if there's ever been a barrier, it's been raised up. Everything that can limit us has been sought out to limit us, to take away our rights. And I'm fighting for that. I want to make a stand. doesn't matter who's in power. I want to make a stand because this nation was forged in persecution. Persecuted people came here because they wanted a place to worship Jesus. Not just God, Jesus. And I believe that was why this nation succeeded, because people sought God. Every great revival that has shaped world missions and the state of the church has come out of this nation in our contemporary history. And I tell you, God's not done with America or with the church of America. We are not leaving in failure and disrespect. We are going to succeed The church will be triumphant, not just universally in Korea and in Africa and in India, but right here in the United States of America, we have God-hungry people, holy people, desperate people, strong people, a few weird ones among us, but that doesn't mean that the church is not growing and expanding. I have to close. I've come to almost the end. But I want to make this closing thought. Now, tomorrow night is going to be, I don't know how I'm going to get done. Um, Tomorrow I want to deal with, I'm going to start with the prayer of Jabez. Who did he pray to? The God of Israel. Who's the God of Israel? The God of Jacob. Who is Jacob? A transformed man. How? Because he wrestled with God, and God touched him and changed his walk. To this day, the Jews will not eat that part of the hip because they honor the God of Jacob who became Israel. Not only was Jacob changed, but he went to a pagan city called Luz. And because of the glory of God, Luz became the house of God. How does a pagan place become the house of God? Because of the presence of God that descends the door to heaven. Hallelujah. A city was transformed because a man put his head on a rock and went to sleep and got a dream. And I believe we can change our communities, we can change our nation, and we can change our world. So tomorrow night, I want to look at changing ourselves. In that, we'll talk about changing the church, changing our city, changing our nation, and changing the world through the gospel. Transformation. Let me close. How many of you believe God's got his hand upon your life? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Of course you do. I'm just testing you. Well done. Okay. How many of you feel like God's got a great task? A great task. I know it's my accent. You should understand me. I've got to say, task. 
T-A-S-K, task. Petra, I'm ashamed. You are from my motherland. Task. What's a task? If it came from Pastor Bob with his southern drawl, I could understand it. But this is far south, girl. (laughs) How many of you feel like God's given you a great task? (laughs) Doesn't even sound like God. Here's my closing thought. The greater the anointing, the greater the calling, the greater the vision, the greater the measure of faith, the greater the need for transformation. Many are called, few are chosen. Why could they not fulfill their destiny was because they wouldn't embrace the transformation that would allow that to flow through them with purity and power. The greater the call, the greater the need for transformation, to be more like Jesus. That should be always our desire. Now, here's the thing. We're already like Him. We're already sealed by Him. We're already born like Him. We were singing about the fire of God come burning me, and what we were saying is, we're really saying, God, transform me. The fire of God, the presence of God changing us. We're already changed through the new birth. But we recognize that we haven't arrived. That there's maturity, there's development, there's skills. Now, this is where we have not been good in the church. We teach people the word, but we don't teach them the skills of operating in the dimensions of the spirit, the anointing, their giftedness. We just teach theory. We never have the practical areas demonstrated. And so we've limited ourselves. How many of you have had Jehovah Witnesses come to your house? (laughs) Okay, let's rephrase that. How many of you haven't had a Jehovah Witness come to your house? One lonely voice crying in the victory. Well, I didn't let them get to my front door. I put my dog on them. That's why they never got to your house. I know. I can see it right through you, man. Just go get them. (laughs) Okay, I'm just, I'm so bad. I eh? just like, huh? How many of you have had Mormons come to your house? Okay, how many of you have never had a Mormon come to your house? Just a, a couple of you. Okay, you know why they are so successful as movements? Because they teach their people what to do and how to do it. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't just teach them publicly. He demonstrated it. He modeled it. And then he watched them do it. And the church has to grow in that element so that we can become skilled. Let me tell you, our cities have been unreached by the Christian church, but they've been reached by the Mormons and by the Jehovah Witnesses, why? Because they've demonstrated to their followers, and they use fear to motivate. Because we operate from grace, we don't get the same results. If we used fear from the pulpit, we'd have the most loyal people, but we don't. We operate in the spirit of love, in the spirit of grace. It's not about performance. It's about obedience. And so we want to understand that this transformation is a process that 
the greater the calling, the greater the anointing, the greater the need for transformation. But that transformation is not just taught, it's caught. You need to get around people that can demonstrate the ways of the Spirit. Where you can pray with people that know how to pray. Where you can prophesy with the prophets. Let me tell you, if I get around prophetic people, I can prophesy because there's that download that comes from their gift. If you get around me, you'll want to be educated, you'll want a degree, you'll want to go to the mission field. I'm telling you, because there's a download that will come from my life. Just get close to me for a little while and you'll want, oh, uh, I I can take India. It's only 1.2 billion people. I can do that because that's what I carry inside of me. There's a download And then if you go on a mission trip with me, remember when Louis self went with me to Kenya? He came back, shut his church down, and moved to Kenya. And he's not the first that's done it. Many have done that already. The moment they get with me, they want to go and take a nation. Why? Because it's what I demonstrate. And that's what, Pastor Bob, you need to have within the life groups, the small groups, the the departments of the church is not just theory, but practical, because that's where we really start to see maturity and transformation. It's not just about purity of heart and knowing the Word, bobbing heads in agreement, but it's the ability to do the Word with skill. And that element the church has missed out on. That's why Jesus said, make disciples students, not just to know the Word academically or theologically, but in demonstration and power. The greater the call, the greater the need for transformed living. Let's stand and pray. The transformed life is powerful. The immature life is weak. The transformed life is a changed life, is a powerful life. Uh, You changed at salvation. You changed at Pentecost. But you also changed through discipleship, through the anointing, through the word, through mentors, and then at times trials. And so let's ask God. I don't know about you, but I feel like we're at the end of the end times. Uh, You know, the other day someone said to me, do you really think Jesus is coming soon? I said, you know, when I first believed, I thought it was soon. Now I really, 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 really believe that he's coming soon. Um, There's a sense of urgency that grips me, but I also know that there's a period of life that is still available to us uh, to get the job done. And for us to fulfill our destiny, we're going to have to embrace transformation Because we've reached, the church has reached a certain plateau. And if we keep doing the same thing in the same way, we'll probably stay where we're at. But to get to that next level, we've got to have change, transformation. And that's what's going to help us to win our generation. David served his his generation by the will of God. Then he slept. We're not allowed to sleep or die. That's what sleep means to die until we've served our generation by the will of God. Let's make these days our best days. Let's make our, these last days 
our most fruitful days. I kind of want to be like Samson. My, my last fight must be my best fight. My last days must be the accumulation and more of all my ministry. Can you believe that for your life? I do. Transformed living. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for these men and women of faith, of holy desire, not selfish ambition, but kingdom ambition. Thank you, God, for their hunger for you and for your word. Thank you, God, for your spirit working in them, touching them, calling them, changing them. Now, God, as we've looked into the mirror of your word and we've given our ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church, we position ourselves before you and we say, Holy Spirit, come. Take me deeper. Take me higher. Take me further than I've ever gone before. God, I pray, put your hand upon every life here. Touch them, fill them, cleanse them, change them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God a shout of praise. Praise the Lord. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866 866- Three eight three eight two seven seven.